Welcome to episode 122 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church for Christ Church and all who would uh, care to listen in. Uh, my name is John Payne. I'm the senior minister of Christ Church Presbyterian here in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm here with my uh, two hosts, uh, co hosts, uh, Reverend Michael Bauer, Associate Minister of Christ Church, and Dr. Gabriel Williams, who is a long term member of Christ Church and serves uh, as a professor at the College of Charleston. Good to see you guys. Good seeing you. Good to be here. It's good to be back. It's been uh, quite some time. <laughs> About five months. Yeah. Man, About five five quite, months. quite a while. <laughs> five months. Well, yeah. it's been a busy five months. I feel like it's yeah. been about five days. Um, <laughs> but uh, glad to be back at the mic. And uh, we are going to spend uh, much of today uh, talking about some important subjects and getting some of these podcasts uploaded. And it's good to be here uh, with you guys today. Yeah, very yeah, much so. It's been a... Yeah, I guess over the last five months, and you have a child, Michael. Over the last five months, well, something yes. like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yes. Yeah, how's it? How's the new baby? How's little James doing? He's great. He's doing very well, growing every day, and uh, it's fun to see his little personality coming out in little ways. So, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great. And and Gabe, you have a busy summer plan. As busy as it always is. Uh, so research, visiting family on both sides, and then. Uh, more research, uh, training <laughs> faculty. So, yeah, it's a normal, busy summer. Wonderful. We've got uh, PCA General Assembly coming up in mm, just a couple right. of weeks, mm -hmm. which we want to talk about in a later episode. And um, I know I'll be taking a little time away this summer, which I'm very much looking forward okay. to. Uh, some some needed rest and yeah. uh, and also a mission trip over to the UK uh, uh, in, yes. in late uh, July, which I'm looking forward to yeah. uh, as well. I'll be preaching twice at the, uh, the church in Oxford uh, that okay. we support there, the church plant. So looking forward to that. Mm. Uh, but here we are, uh, episode 122, and we are discussing uh, the doctrine of union with Christ, mm. particularly as it is found in uh, Paul's epistle to the Romans. Mm. And of course, we have been uh, in Romans now for almost 50 weeks mm. uh, as a church, as we've been walking through in my morning sermon series, uh, this uh, marvelous book, this veritable catechism for the early church and for the church of the ages and in romans 5 and 6 we come to this all-important theological category and doctrine of union with christ and um you know if you were to ask uh, a christian any christian walking down the street uh what does it mean to be a christian uh, the first thing that would come to mind would probably not be the doctrine yeah. of union with Christ, even though this doctrine really controlled Paul's uh, understanding of salvation. Mm, that's right. Uh, what it means to be a Christian. And in a day where so many are talking about identity, we've got all the identity politics going on and and people talking about this identity and that identity and every company wanting you to have your identity <laughs> in their product, mm -hmm. and what they're selling or in their team or whatever. Yeah. Here we have really what every Christian should consider the most important aspect of their identity as a human being, that is, their identity in Christ. Amen. Uh, union with Christ uh, through faith, by grace through faith. Um, as we begin this discussion, I want to just uh, quote our friend Ian Hamilton uh, from his book, Salvation, Full and Free in Christ. Uh, there he explains that, quote, in the New Testament, 
Christians, perhaps surprisingly, are rarely called by that name. Only in three places are believers called Christians in the Bible. The normal and almost invariable way that Christians are described in the New Testament is as those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. This two-word description identifies the essential heart of what it means to be a Christian. He goes on to write, A Christian is someone who has been brought by God's grace through faith into a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ, so much so that he or she is in Christ, united indissolubly to him. End quote. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what an important subject that uh, would be good for us to, to discuss um, this morning. Amen. And then I love the aspect of the quote that speaks about the fact that this is something that God himself does. Mm. That's right. And that's what contrasted with today's identity politics. The way that identity politics today is given to us is that it's something you choose based on how you feel about who you think you are. Even though it might not correspond to reality. Exactly. <laughs> and it may change every month right. <laughs> depending upon who you are. But the beauty of union of Christ, it is that which the Holy Spirit has done to unite us to him. It's something outside of us. And unlike identity politics, it is more real than anything else that you could, in theory, identify with. Because at the foundational level, this is something that God himself has done to bring sinners into, you can say, the the realm of grace in this sense. And that's why you and Christ is foundational to the Christian, because it is beyond or past your own feelings. It is who you are, more real than everything that you feel yourself to be. That's right. That's right. And you, you mentioned, uh, John, about the corporations that want us to have their identity in them. It seems as though part of uh, what it means to be made in the image of God is that we look for those kinds of things that are bigger than ourselves in which to put our identity. And mm-hmm. our society is saying, well, if we put our identity in Google or in um, Adidas, then uh, we're going to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But that's that's not at all what the Lord has called us to do. He's called us to place our faith in Christ and our identity in our Savior. Um, and so that's a it's an innate yearning in all of us that I think some of these corporations have, have picked up on, but they're twisting it in, as, as um, sin does in so many ways. I I remember one of, uh, I forget which book, but it's one of Sinclair Ferguson's more recent books, I think, on maturity, hmm. where he speaks about unit Christ yeah. as akin to a naming ceremony, where hmm. when a baby is born, we don't just let the baby grow and then tell the baby, you can figure out what your name will be over time, <laughs> and you can change it whenever. That's not how we think about children. When the child is born, they are given a name, and it's a matter of fact. It's a statement both of authority, because God alone has the authority to name the Christian, but it is also a statement of ownership and identity. God himself Mm -hmm. is identifying with the Christian Mm -hmm. in as much as the Christian is holding on and identifying with Christ. Paul, of course, in the first uh, chapter of Ephesians, uh, unpacks this doctrine of union with Christ. And um, there we see the Holy Trinity uh, working, uh, bringing uh, the sinner into union with Christ and keeping the sinner in union with Mm -hmm. Christ uh, forever. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here we are reminded, aren't we, that this whole salvation is mm -hmm. about the glory of God first and foremost. It's not Amen. even about yes. our salvation. It's about the glory of God. That's right. um, we tend to put everything focused on man and our therapeutic needs, our being saved from hell. Now, being saved from hell is obviously very important <laughs> at the center of our redemption. But first and foremost, this whole thing is about the glory of God mm -hmm. and, and His fame uh, in, in the world. And then uh, verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, mm -hmm. having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So you, you hear yeah. the refrain. God chooses us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Mm. He sends Christ into the world to purchase our redemption, bringing us into union with Christ to the praise of His glory. Mm -hmm. And then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ to the praise of His glory. That's the mm. refrain. Amen. This is all for the glory of God and for the salvation of His elect, and we rejoice in this, and it's all about being united to the, to, to the Christ who came and obeyed the law for us, who died on the cross for us, who rose from the dead for us, who ascended for us, and who right now represents us in heaven and will one day come back. We are indissolubly united to Him. We can never be separated from His love. If we don't understand the Christian life in these terms, we do not understand it on biblical terms. And it also at the same time gives you the real sense of assurance that yes. many Christians you yearn for and desire because again if <clears throat> if salvation was something that you yourself had to initiate at your end and you had to keep yourself in the love of God without anything else being stated then you would imagine that every Christian would ebb and flow with assurance and often go into despair during times of great weakness and perhaps mm -hmm. even fall into grave sin but the beauty of the doctrine of the union of Christ it, it basically says as you mentioned that it's something that cannot be dissolved because again it isn't initiated by the Christian God himself is doing it and the end for which God does it is his own glory so it's not just that it's not merely that that God likes you so much that he keeps you in this love there is the end of his glory as the chief end why he does all of these things and so the reason that we can have confidence at the end of the day that even when we fall even when we stumble that God will raise us back up and will 
not just dissolve the union but keep us together it's because god has tied his glory into our salvation in a mysterious and glorious sort of way that's right and when you properly understand union with christ we understand that those who are in christ are as assured of their faith as uh as christ himself is mm-hmm. and, and assured as assured of the father's love as christ himself is we are indissolubly indissolubly united to our savior nothing can do away with that and no one can take us out of our heavenly father's hand and so uh, christ is seated at the right hand of the father he is assured of the love of his father and all those in christ are assured of it as well and i think what also kind of stems from this is if you think about what sanctification is and often sanctification can be misunderstood as purely just your striving towards holiness uh, there is no true sanctification without union of christ it is impossible that's right and that's because the grace that is required to renovate our nature is not from within it's not from ourselves it is coming from that union already established and so we grow in grace and holiness because as the confession states that in sanctification god's grace is infused within us and also sin is subdued in the process all of that is part of the blessing that comes with being united with christ without that union all sanctification is is just a futile attempt to uh, futile attempt basically become moral without any real grounding for where that comes from it basically becomes as an exercise and dealing with one struggle to have another sin pop up in this place it's kind of the old whack-a-mole game that if you hit something (laughs) down another sin will pop up that's worse than the first and that's the essence of the moralism that occurs without the union of Christ being the foundation and the grace for it. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 12 through 21, he wants to help us to understand the federal headship of Adam so that we would better understand the federal headship of Christ. That's right. So what he explains in Romans 5, 12 and following is that all of humanity, all of humanity is born with original sin inherited from Adam. Mm -hmm. That when Adam fell into sin, we all fell in him Mm -hmm. because we are united to him in our humanity. And God, our covenant God, he established um, creation this way. Mm -hmm. And so every human being is united to Adam, thus fallen in him and born in sin so we got a big problem Hmm. we all stand before god who is a righteous judge and we are sinners and he is holy and the standard of his holiness is his law which we break every day so what Uh hope is there for us well we have the lord jesus christ sent into the world as the second adam and Hmm. the one who did which the first adam failed to do and when christ obeyed and christ died on the cross and christ rose from the dead we are in him so that what he did he did for us and in our place Mm -hmm. and so our union with christ then it 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 teaches us that by grace through faith in him because of our union with him we stand before god no longer condemned in adam but Mm -hmm. justified in christ and so then he goes on to say and this is an important thing to mention at the end of chapter five 
it says God gave his law to us in order that we would recognize our sins mm. mm-hmm. and, and our transgressions, it says, will, it would increase because we would know the law and, and understand how great our sin is. And then it said, and God's grace abounded. Amen. But then Paul asks the question, an important one that, that people will ask, because some people will say, oh, union with Christ, that's a real convenient doctrine. You're, you're never going to be snatched away from him. Well, Paul says, does this mean then that we can let sin abound so that grace can abound all the more? And he says, by no means. May it never be. Mm. How can he who died to sin still live in that sin? We, mm. we no longer are under the bondage and slavery of sin, but now we are under grace mm. and have been set free from that bondage. And that's really what Paul talks about all throughout chapter 6, doesn't he? And in chapter 6, you have the reference that since you are dead in sin because you are in Christ, that means you actually now have a reason not to serve sin anymore. And that's the whole logic of the passage. Without union with Christ, without dying in Christ and being raised to new life, then the reason for putting your sin to death is just kind of arbitrary. But now you actually have an exhortation to do it because, again, you are not a slave to sin you are not basically still following the old man and all of its lusts you are more truly more really than anything else you know in jesus christ and so you no longer have the motivation Mm -hmm. to do it but the power exactly and that's why now you can say with confidence that you do not have to present your members to sin and for further unrighteousness as it says in romans 12 1 you cannot present your whole selves to god because you have the power through his spirit to actually do that and because that is who you truly are in christ you are now someone that is not a slave to sin but you are now a bond slave a servant to christ and thus all of yourself all of your mind will intellect passions emotions affections every part of who you are is now devoted to god because you are in christ that's right yeah and and this is a this is a difficult doctrine i think for some because they could read these words and think well then paul is saying that we can be perfect in this life that we can be completely free from sin um but i think to do that is obviously a misunderstanding and a mis- misinterpreting of what paul is saying here he's saying that sin does still remain in our lives but it no longer reigns let not sin reign in your mortal bodies mm-hmm. to make you obey its passions he says in romans six twelve. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfectly free from sin it just means that we now by by god's <coughs> grace through his spirit and faith in christ uh, we have the ability to not sin it brings up a really important distinction between union with Christ and communion with Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Our union with Christ does not change. That's Your right. greatest day as a Christian doesn't make you more in union with Christ. Mm-hmm. Your worst day as a Christian doesn't make you any less in union with Christ. We are in union with Christ by grace through faith, and it never changes. Now, communion with Christ does change. It ebbs and flows based mm-hmm. on how committed we are to God's appointed means of grace, mm-hmm. um, how we allow sin in our lives to fester. And so our communion with God will will increase and decrease based on how we are living. Now, according to sanctification, our communion with God should continue to progress mm-hmm. over the course of our lifetime. 
Sometimes it seems like we take a step back, but we are all always taking steps forward. And then someone might say, well, what about the person who just doesn't live for the Lord and, and has all these patterns of sin? Well, the question there is, is that person in union with Christ? Right. There has mm-hmm. to be doubt uh, in that. And um, it's really important, brothers, as we think about the, the illustrations and analogies given in the New Testament, we see union with Christ being highlighted mm. everywhere. That's right. Uh, we, see, um, we see the relationship between Christ and his people underscored in John 15, where we are described as branches attached to Jesus Christ, the living vine. Uh, apart from him, we are told we can do nothing. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we are described as the body of Christ. We are the members. Christ is our living head. In Ephesians 5, Paul analogizes, analogizes marriage union between a man and a woman to explain the unbreakable union between Christ and his bride, the church. We're also called living stones being built up into a holy temple in 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ as the cornerstone. So over and over again, we have this reinforced and highlighted and underscored in Scripture that this doctrine of union with Christ. Amen. And kind of think about the final outcome of all this. Consider the final outcome of your sanctification in which after all of the labor and striving of the Christian is done and God uh, on that last day uh, transports us into glory, you now will receive all of the benefits that you and Christ is about. Is that, again, we speak about being adopted in Christ right now, but we know that the full privileges of sonship have not been experienced yet. And that means what we have is in unit Christ, it actually builds that hope even further because we now know that if we are truly united to Christ now, and we know that that union cannot be dissolved, that means we have confidence that we will receive the full blessings of sonship and the full inheritance that comes with being children of God. Amen. And that's really the gospel logic that Paul has as he leads us to Romans chapter 8, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That in union with Christ, we are born again, mm-hmm. regenerated, made alive. Uh, in union with Christ, we are justified, declared mm-hmm. righteous. Uh, in union with Christ, we are adopted into God's family. In union with Christ, we are being sanctified progressively, mm-hmm. day by day, month by month, year by year, until we go to glory and we are made perfect in glorification. Mm-hmm. And so these are all benefits of our union with Christ, which then lead Paul uh, to say at the end of Romans chapter 8, uh, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Mm-hmm. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Union with Christ. No separation because of God's sovereign grace. What a joy. And this ought to compel us. Uh, to worship God, Amen. Personally, in our families, 
and in our church, and may he receive the glory. Well, we're so glad that you joined us for this discussion of a glorious topic, union with Christ, and we hope uh, that uh, you'll join us if you're, of course, a member or even listening in and in our community. Come join us for worship as we continue to walk through the book of Romans, uh, glorifying God and learning from him what it means to be a Christian and how we are called to live as Christians. We hope you'll join us next time on Between the Times. <laughs>